The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Ray fucked me. We're talking Callista Flockhart skeletons, and we're talking my pussy's gone crazy. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking my strong hand. Um, I'm a little pissed off because I was 100% gonna. No, 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 no. The strong hand's the most obvious fucking one, Joe. And I was gonna. I was 100%. <laughs> I was gonna do. This is a skeleton. This is bones. <laughs> Best line. Of the I day. mean, you still got it in, so there you go. We're yeah, both happy. <laughs> Everyone, we are talking scary movie two, and oh man, Joe, I think this is our mm-hmm. first foray into this type of film. Absolutely. Yes, folks, this is our first parody film. We have covered a lot of horror comedies, but I mean, I don't know that this movie is scaring anybody except people who are easily offended, in which case this film may just be a nightmare. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. This movie is very much of its time, and there's Mm -hmm. a lot going on here. I find it fascinating because I actually have a lot of nostalgia about this movie in particular. And so it was Diff- it was a very interesting experience rewatching it as a 31-year-old compared to when I was, say, 15. Oh, yes. This this is very firmly a film from the year of our Lord 2001. So happy 20th anniversary, Scary Movie 2. Um, oh, is that why we picked it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know if it's from this week specifically, but it definitely came out 20 well, years ago Well, I was always, year. when you put it on the schedule, I was like, that's fine. I like Scary Movie 2. But I was always like, well, I mean, our, obviously our thing is Scream. And I know you did last summer. It's like, why weren't we doing the first one? But this makes sense. That being said, I do think that two is most people's favorite entry in this franchise. I mean, we're going to find out. We will. (laughs) But before we go too much further, we actually have a very special guest on this episode. So let's bring her in. All right, everyone. She has been dubbed the Oprah of horror and is the host and creator of the popular YouTube channel Horror Movies and Beyond, which, well, pretty much does everything. I mean, this woman is busy. But, um... Some highlights of of her show, actually, are behind-the-scenes retrospectives on popular horror films, charting the evolution of horror and addressing why it's so important to the film industry. She addresses, like, why things are being remade and rebooted, like, specific, like, uh, IP-centric things on that. Everyone, please welcome Ivotris Littles. Hi! Hello! (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
I'm excited. Yes. Yay! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, welcome to Scary Movie 2. Uh, Miss Oprah of Horror, by the way. What? Where did that come from? Oh, man. Well, it, it's a kind of a short story, but I'll try to make it even shorter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, I was, um, I got invited to a birthday party um, in to John Masari's birthday. He's the composer of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Oh, and nice. I was like, he, ha- it, it was so beautiful. It, like his party was so elegant and he had like Hollywood people there. And, <laughs> and so at the time, uh, me and my boyfriend was just like, I felt like I was just starting into getting into like horror movies and beyond. I haven't even really started the the whole image of that yet so Mm -hmm. i was still working on it and i needed a catchy phrase and i just so happened to speak to someone who was kind of like a a, like a personal coach like a uh, like a life coach or something Mm -hmm. like that and she was there for his birthday and i was sitting there and I was like, man, I really want a catchy phrase. And she's like, yeah, you know, you need something like that. So people can, you know, that something they could grab onto. You know, a lot of people <laughs> have that. And she said, Oprah has that. And I was like, Oprah. Uh... I said, oh, <laughs> like the Oprah of horror. And she said, she, she was like, keep that. <laughs> yeah, that's yours right then and there. I, right? I, yeah, she's like, keep that. And I was like, really? Because she was like, yeah, yeah, that is catchy we all know who oprah is and then mm-hmm. there's horror mm-hmm. so then we'll know what kind of person you are what they're going to expect just by that title and so i kept it <laughs> that is amazing <laughs> because it's her name and i don't put it on anything illegal reasons right, um, <laughs> right of course <laughs> yeah it's not on shirts it's not on anything but it is a hashtag and it is directly towards me so if you click or make that hashtag anywhere i would pop up <laughs> nice. that's okay. honestly a so. really good marketing t- technique though i can i really like that but you're right it's catchy and it works and it's yeah it's on a hashtag yeah mm-hmm. yeah i don't want to put it on anything um i would love to <laughs> but <laughs> oprah have your people call <laughs> yeah i i would i think i would have to ask permission because everybody i mean there's probably another person in the world named oprah but she, her name is so huge, they'll automatically put it to her. And I don't want her people to be like, hey, what's this? So, mm. or I uh, think I'm using her image or name. People are like that. I'm not saying she's like that, but she has like, what, 100 lawyers? <laughs> Let, let's not invite that. Yeah, that would find any reason in a law book or something. So hopefully it'll get to her. And then she'll be intrigued and, (laughs) you know, I'll be sitting on her couch and, you know, on her network and trying to explain where did the Oprah of horror come from. (laughs) Oh my God. We should, we should have been watching scary movie four because that movie ends with the Tom Cruise parodying, like jumping on Oprah's couch, bitch. That would have been really (laughs) apt. (laughs) It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) So... Well, that's awesome. So, hey, I have a question that I always ask guests on our show because, yes, normally what we do is we send out our list of films and we say, hey, cool, like pick pick something that you want to talk about. You picked Scary Movie 2, and I would like to ask you why. Because I really think that movie is really funny um, and really good for for its time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really do love the Wayans. Uh, I watched In Living Color. 
so I'm very familiar. I grew up. I remember the first episode of In Living Color. <laughs> it used to come <laughs> wow. out on Sundays. I think it was either after or before The Simpsons. Probably after. But yeah, you know, then uh, I think after that was all City Hall. So I grew up during those times. But it really captured so many things and it's very edgy. And it really touched on things like that movie could not be made today. No, Neither God, can the no. first one. <laughs> No, no, it would offend <laughs> so many people, but it's timeless. It's funny. They make parodies of old classic films as well as the ones during the, the late 90s. Mm-hmm. The remakes of those and, you know, and I mean, it was all-star cast. It's just, it's just, it's just good. And I saw that in the theater and I laughed my <laughs> ass off. <laughs> I, I was 100% not allowed to see this in a movie theater. So this came out, I was 12 years old. And I remember, oh, the, wow. I know, and, <laughs> but I was in eighth grade and my mom had gone out of town for like a week because my mom was a stay at home mom. And she, you know, she, she like did a lot of PTA stuff, but she, she, for some reason she went to go visit her mother for like a week. And my dad rented me and my sister, like a bunch of R rated horror movies, but he also rented a scary movie one and two. And my sister didn't watch scary movies, so while my dad and I were watching, like, I don't know, like, Halloween H2O or Deep Blue Sea or something, my sister was upstairs, and my sister is two years younger than me, so I I was 13, she was 11, and she watched Scary Movie 1 by herself. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. I remember watching it with my dad later, and he, halfway through, he just looks at me and goes, I cannot believe your sister watched this. <laughs> <laughs> And then while we were watching the first one, she was watching the second one. And I don't know which one is more crude, but yes, you're absolutely Mm. right. Like watching this, my mindset was, there is no way this could be made today. Absolutely Mm -mm. not. No. No. Yeah. It is such a time capsule in that regard where you're thinking, I'm surprised they even managed to get away with this at the time. But then when you watch it from the 2021 mentality, it's like, oh, God, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Well, that first one made so much money that I bet you they had carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they wanted for this movie. And I I have Mm. this on DVD and in one, there's like a little eight minute featurette like of the making of the movie or whatever. And Marlon Wayans, he says, like, you can't think about not offending people. You just have to go for jokes. One or two people might get offended along the way. But if the majority is laughing then it's all good mm-hmm. that so. is true yeah i mean i think comedy is an interesting place right now what with i mean again i hate saying cancel culture because i fucking oh god no let's say consequences <laughs> culture that's what we're <laughs> actually consequences culture no but i feel i feel like the world of comedy has taken the biggest hit in this because yeah like a lot of like quote-unquote funny comedy is offensive comedy and that's kind of come out of the like the the, the spotlight in the past couple years Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really sad. That's why I'm glad I grew up during the times where it was like everyone could see a rated R in a theater. I mean, mm-hmm. I was ten years old, you know, by myself. Well, not by myself, but <laughs> <laughs> well, with other young teens and stuff, we just you know get dropped off, and you know we're watching yes. you know Texas Chainsaw <laughs> or something. Oh, you know yeah. it was it was just the thing. You know I saw the Blob, I saw the Fly. I mean, oh, amazing. It, it's just and probably in uh, I want to say '96 they started only having you had to have a parent with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're look 17 uh, or younger, you need to have a parent, and then um after that no so it was like oh i can't wait till i turn you know 18 so i can mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so I could see these fucking so, movies again. It, it, it was really, I, that's funny that you say that because I worked at an AMC theaters when I was, so it was around like, I was 16 or 17, so it would have been like 2006-ish, and you know how like the way with America, like the US is way more strict on like sexual things than it is with violent things. Mm-hmm. So whenever I was taking tickets, you know, we would always, you know, check IDs at the door, like when, oh sorry, when you're selling the ticket, mm-hmm. but for certain movies, they would set up extra like barriers at the door to the auditorium yep. for mm-hmm. to check the ticket stubs and IDs again. And it was always for movies like Jackass, like those kinds yeah. of movies. Yeah, I worked at AMC. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so weird, right? Because these movies, and I'm thinking specifically about films like Jackass and also the scary movies, they're obviously R-rated comedies, but they seem so deliberately intended for teenage audiences and more specifically mm-hmm. male teenage audiences mm-hmm. i remember and i think maybe that's why I, I remember so much the second one um i will confess that i didn't like this as much on a rewatch i still have like some nostalgia goggles on where like bits of it i still find really funny but as a whole when it ended i was kind of like oh like i didn't particularly care for that but I remember being in middle school and everyone was talking about the strong hand. Everyone was talking about the, 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 the semen explosion. Um, I, I, there were so many things in this movie that, again, are very offensive that a bunch of my friends had seen because they were 12 and 13 years old somehow getting parents to take them to go see this movie. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I was not that young, but I definitely did see both of these first two films with my father in the theater. <laughs> and let me tell you about a cringe moment. Those semen explosion scenes do not go down well when you are sitting next to your elderly father. <laughs> your elderly father. Elderly. He's like 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he was there with a cane and a bird head. No, he, he was just very, I think he he was actually more uncomfortable than I was because, you know, I was underage and he, I, I don't know. I think yeah. I didn't fully, I understood what it was, but at the same time I was like, ha ha, this is just like a body humor. And my dad was like, oh fuck, we're watching semen explosions right now. I, I think that's the biggest one. Even in that first movie when, um, is it John Abraham? I think that's his name. Yes. When he blasts on a fair set ceiling and like, you know, his body like, he turns skeletal because yes. yeah. <laughs> he's just all pent up. Yep. Oh uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Th- those are good times. I mean, that was kind of. Um, I think a little bit after that, if not before, maybe a little bit after that, Team America. That was, was after. Was oh it? god. Yeah. yeah, yeah. After mm-hmm. that, so movies were still being very offensive, but funny, mm-hmm. and I'm. A real, uh, like a funny point about Team America, and then we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason I brought that up was when I went to the theater, it was me, my ex, and then our two friends. That when we walked in and look, you know, you walk through the hall and you look at your the seats, it was filled with children. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Parents yes. and kids and young adults. And I was. Because they saw puppets, right? Yeah. And I stood there oh, no. and we both, we all looked at each other. We, we, there were some adults like us, but I was like, none of these people saw, knew, know who Matt Stone and Trey Parker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody's seen, you know, South Park. Nobody's yeah. seen Orgasmo. Nobody's seen anything in here. They just yeah. saw puppets because. In the trailer, they can't show much. Yeah, right. Um, so, and so as the when it first start, you know, America, fuck you. <laughs> 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 um, 
No, no, actually it was uh it was uh the the rent the rent parody everyone has aids yes yes oh yes, my yes, goodness my i laughed so much and people were leaving with their kids well yes, no i mean on, yes. honestly a, a recent example of that phenomenon is sausage party with the, the seth rogan movie when that movie came out people were taking their kids to go see it because again that's that's not even based on another ip like south park was but it was this cartoon movie about talking food and even the new harley quinn show like there's a blu-ray coming out and there's a sticker on it that says like this is a mature show this is not for children even though it's a cartoon yeah because people can't wrap their heads around the fact that like comedies can be raunchy and animated fair can be for adults it's like we're so singularly minded sometimes it's a little ridiculous <laughs> i'm glad you brought up team america though so we could loop back to south park because uh, so much of scary movie 2 not so much but i feel like that this film does rely more on timely references to parody as opposed to like horror movie tropes in general mm -hmm. which very much reminds me of south park you know south park has that rapid turnaround where it's like oh like something right. happens on friday the episode comes out the next wednesday and they've already like addressed this social issue right mm -hmm. so i wanted to just kind of go through a little lesson just for us and our listeners to kind of talk about what a parody is because i also think that the that the terms parody and satire are used interchangeably by people and they are very much not the same thing yeah so, for this little lesson, um, basically everyone, a parody is also called a spoof. It's a creative work designed to imitate, comment on, and or make fun of its subject by means of satiric or ironic imitation. Makes sense. Often, it is the subject of an original work or some aspect of it, theme slash content, author, style, etc. But a parody can also be about a real-life person, event, or movement. And this is really what you see on South Park a lot. Like that's, I feel like that's the biggest like widespread example of what you can tell someone what a parody is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where a scary movie is more like it's, uh, it's an original work based on the content of things like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and in this case, Hill House and that kind of shit. Yes. But the, the, the big like distinguisher between parody and satire. So parody's primary aim is to amuse by aping something which others can recognize. So yeah, like you go see this, if people saw The Haunting four years before, they're going to get that. People have seen The mm -hmm. Exorcist. They know what the opening scene is doing. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, there's very little deeper motive other than to, to critique the work. So that's the other thing too. Parody is critiquing whatever it is parodying. But they're also focused on ridiculing them, and it's very kind of, it's very surface level. There's not really a deeper meaning to it, which is also why some people think that parodies don't have a long-lasting impact. Like, again, like, we get, people remember one and two, because I think that there's a nostalgia factor there, and, like, kind of growing up as the internet was kind of reaching its apex, I guess I'm going to say. Sure. But there's been a lot of other parodies that have come out in the before this that, I mean, again, with the exception of something like Airplane or Spaceballs, um, that hasn't really stood the test of time, depending on what it's parodying, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember there was that string of really terrible parodies. They all came out <laughs> after these, but like where they were making fun of um, like the Narnia films and you were just mm -hmm. like, these movies are so cheaply and badly made. They're just desperate for laughs. But yeah, like nobody talks about them anymore because they didn't have any kind of impact. They don't have a legacy to yeah, them. Yeah, and they did one with Gladiator. Yes, there's Meet the Spartans, there's Date yeah. Movie, there's yes. Disaster Movie, there's Superhero Movie, there's Dan oh. Dance Flick, which is actually a Wayans Brothers movies, and they also did A Haunted House 1 and 2, like, all of yeah. these. I mean, again, like, again, I've you, you didn't even know Scary Movie 5 existed, and that's not a knock, <laughs> that, 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 that's not a knock, that's an understandable thing to not know. 
<laughs> because no one cares about Scary Movie 5. We've just forgotten about it because by that point it was like, who could care? Yeah. yeah. Now, the satire aspect, the important thing of satire. So and uh, going with the past episode, everyone, I'm thinking um, the best example of satire we've done on this, on this show is American Psycho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A work of satire uses humor, particularly irony and exaggeration, to expose flaws in human behavior. Satire intends to ridicule people's idiocy or vices or make some kind of social or political commentary. It is focused on the bigger picture and deeper things as opposed to surface level. And it's also like... It's not satirizing an IP, if that makes any sense, you know? So, like, American Psycho is like a satire of white privilege. Consumerism. (laughs) Consumerism. Dawn of the Dead is a satire of American consumerism, you know? But it's not necessarily, like, you know, laugh out loud slapstick funny. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that parody only uses slapstick. No, but parody is really focused on the joke as opposed to satire, which is like, you can have satirical horror films that are still scary. Yes, I I think also parody exaggerates what is ridiculous. Right. I do see that. You're just kind of like when you watch, you know, there are some there's a lot of scenes where I've watched in Scary Movie, too. And you're just like (laughs) they take it to the next level because they're I think they're trying to show you like, yeah, this is funny. But if we put it in this situation, this is also funny. But look how ridiculous it is. It's exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I think that's when the sh- when the movie works the best. I mm-hmm. think, and we'll talk about this a bit, but I think when it relies on you, like, it's when parody, if you have to know what it's referencing to get the joke, I think that's when parody fails. Mm. I don't know. I mean, we can talk about it with certain things. I'm thinking specifically about the fucking Nike commercial that's two minutes long in this movie. Then that's why you should only make a movie mo- that's based on parodies on popular movies. Because mm-hmm. then you you're guaranteed everyone will know what you're talking about. Well, mostly yeah. everyone will know what you're talking about. Well, it's also kind of trying to predict like what's going to be timeless, right? Like again, like if we're using this Nike commercial as an example, like again, if you grew up in that time period, you might remember that commercial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And anyone who is a teenager now will not get that, whereas they will get a reference to The Exorcist. I mean, you, you would hope they would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned the exaggeration because there are mainly three tools of parody. One is exaggeration, um, which takes an aspect of the original serious version and pushes it to the extreme. One example that I found, which is actually very true, is um, like Robert Downey Jr. dying his skin in Tropic Thunder. Oh my gosh, I love that film. It's love so it. good. <laughs> love it. Also very offensive, right? Yeah, it's very offensive, but it worked. And I think mm-hmm. it worked for, for him because when um, Ben Stiller, came, it was, I guess, written or story or mm-hmm. something he was saying, when Ben Stiller came up to him, he said no, like a hundred times. He was like, nah, right. man, my career is just going. Iron Man just, <laughs> like, yeah. what are you trying to pull? <laughs> He's like, oh, hell no. But he was like, man, it'll work, I swear. And he turned it down. He like, he had to break in his house and put the script down his throat in order but (laughs) i think he kind of took it because there's another black guy on there and i think Mm -hmm. it worked because it was this black guy trying to show how ridiculous this guy is playing a black dude Mm -hmm. be australian but it was for a role he was trying to play but it i guess it it didn't work through so he just kept it into the role of the Tropic of <laughs> Thunder that we're doing. So 
that's why it worked. Now, I think if he was by himself, right? Yes, it would look as blackface, and it would yeah. have just been horrible. But because the other black dude was really black, was making fun of him, trying mm-hmm. to be black for a character he's not, it worked. And that's the yeah. only way it it worked. If they did that movie now, if it even showed a trailer, his whole career would yeah. be gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right there. I mean, again, that's also like it's because yeah, it would have looked like a movie. Oh, it's a bunch of white guys making a movie about this character who yeah is essentially doing not even blackface, it's like black body. <laughs> it's like black everything body. black. <laughs> My uh, black friends went to see that film, and it when I oh actually saw that in a the theater, and it was packed with black people. Mm-hmm. Which oh, I really? thought was kind of, because when, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like, well, this is different, <laughs> like, you know, because you know, you, you know, because of the movie, you're not, you're not sure, but <laughs> it right. was packed, and I was like, uh oh, I never see so many people laughing, enjoying themselves. I've had my friends um, come to me, uh, my black friends, tell me, oh my god, he was spot on, like. That is, he's a truly a brother. They don't know if he hung out with black people or something, but watching that, he is spot on on that kind of personality that right. that is out there. I don't know what he, his reference, I would love to ask him, but man, <laughs> it was that good. He was, it was yeah. perfect. <laughs> It, it's a gamble, though. It's always a yeah. gamble. I think, I think with, especially with, with offensive humor, it's a gamble. And, and again, we'll get into that with this movie, too, because I feel like there's a couple gambles. Um, <laughs> this some movie. that pay off and some that don't. <laughs> um, in addition to exaggeration, we have inversion, which involves flipping the terms of an accepted system of values. Good becomes bad. Bad becomes good. Um, you could look at the onion for a lot of this. An example would be gay teen worried he might be Christian, which flips the Christian worried he might be gay. That's the parody there. Right. There's also trivialization, which takes a serious topic and treats it as if it's silly or insignificant. And that's really where Scary Movie falls. You can also look at it as, well, I'm sorry, that's really that and exaggeration, but Austin Powers, like, trivializing action sequences, intensity, and casual sex of the James Bond franchise. Right. But, uh... The only other thing, it's been around for a very long time. It's not a modern phenomenon. Uh, like uh, I didn't know this, but Jane Austen's eight, 19th century novel, Northanger Abbey, is a parody of gothic fiction. But all too often with parody, the humor is lost. This is where I was coming from, by the way. Um, the humor is lost on those unfamiliar with the source being parodied. So if you've never read any gothic fiction, the humor of Northanger Abbey will be unclear. I've never read that book, so I can't speak for it. But that's how I feel sometimes with, again, after what I watched all of these scary movie movies today. And there were so many things where I was like, I know what they're making fun of here, but a lot of people won't. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if like something like what works for us and what works for, doesn't work for us because I know we're going to disagree about some of these things because we all come from different backgrounds. <laughs> so the only other thing is because I think that um, doing a parody of horror films is a great idea because comedy and horror as genres are very linked to each other in that they both transgress the norm to tell their stories. Uh, for horror, it's a notoriously excessive genre. You know, it's um, to kind of get through the crowded marketplace because, again, like there's like a horror movie coming out every week now that we have streaming platforms now. So much of horror relies on shocking, you know, oh, like people have already seen this. Let's give them this other thing that's going to be more shocking. And that also leads to viewer desensitization. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like we talked about last week on your birthday episode, Trace, when we talked about exploitation. So mm-hmm. there's profit to be made in causing outrage and becoming a point of discussion. Yes, and actually that was really because when when discussing this, I was like, oh, Scary Movie 2 is very much a time capsule, just like fucking Freeway, because Freeway could also not be made today. <laughs> no. Yeah. But yeah, and then the only other thing, comedy, again, also pushes boundaries. Like, when there's something about Mary, the hair gel scene, when that hit theaters in, what, 98? Like, that fucking threw people off, because it was like, oh, you're seeing this movie? Oh, this hair gel scene is so funny, because it's cum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a mainstream I- film. <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing that. <laughs> yeah. That movie was a sensation too, right? I mean, it's yeah. I think part of this too is that there's a communal aspect to when these films strike big, they have their finger on the pulse and to be part of that crowd experience and to revel in the humor like Part of this, I think, is that Scary Movie 2 didn't work 100% well for me because I'm sitting here in my isolated apartment. Like, if it's in a crowded audience with people who are laughing, I'm way more inclined to find it funny. That's fair. I mean, I, again, there are things that I, ch- I I laughed heartily at a lot in this movie. I think my issue stems from more like just as a structure of the film. Because I think, and again, out of all the films in the franchise, this one has the thinnest plot. Right. Not that it really matters <laughs> at the end of the no, day. No, it's, it's it's true, but you need a good you need a good foundational bone structure to lay your jokes on. And I think part of what you're about to tell us about the film's production is that they were working uh with not the greatest situation to try to get this movie made, right? Well, let's look at this. So Scary Movie 1 has a budget of $19 million. It comes out July 7th of 2000 and opens with $42 million. Oh, man. He was <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is so much money, people. So much money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, worldwide, it ends with $277 million. Again, on a $19 million budget. So basically, the Monday after it opens, the studio calls the Wayans Brothers and goes, uh, let's do another one. Also, it needs to be out by next summer. So, Scary Movie 2 opens July 4th weekend, a year later. They basically, from pre-production to post-production to release the film, it took nine months, which is about half, half the time that any other film was doing at the time, at least for a studio film. Right. They... (laughs) <laughs> the Reigns Brothers supposedly watched 130 movies to Oof. research for this film. I'm willing to bet that that was when they were making the first one slash when they were developing this one. Like, I don't think you could watch 133 movies in that time span. I I think that would take the nine months, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else is making the movie. We're going to sit here and watch all these movies instead. <laughs> Well, they probably had other people sitting and watching with them. So it wasn't just them. They all, you know, his brother has a, you know, production studio. They Mm -hmm. probably had assistants. We were all going to sit here. We were all going to write down, you know, or his whole family. What is it, like a hundred of them? Right. (laughs) All sat down. (laughs) I think there's seven. Seven or eight. No, ten. No, it is ten. (laughs) Because I remember it's 10 because five were in show business and five were not. I remember oh that. that is- Can you imagine being the five that are not? You're just like. And the five were all on in living color. It's, it's Marlon, Sean, uh, the sister. Um, the sister. Okay. Yeah. The, oh, my God. Yeah. It was like. It's basically uh, the Jackson family. Yeah. With the Wayans. Yeah. I think it's like 10 of them. 
maybe wow. maybe more. I don't know. But I know there was five they said in show business. Five God. or four in show business. Well, <laughs> speaking of lots of numbers, this movie has seven writers. <laughs> That's probably um, all it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yo, yeah, seven writers, three of them are Wayans Brothers. And what I, I, I honestly... Okay, so uh, I voted... I, I'm not trying to shit on this movie because again, there are parts that I like about it. It was just a really weird, surreal viewing experience for me today to like rewatch this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like because it was such a rush production, because there were uh, granted the first one had six writers, so this one just added one more and whatever. <laughs> but it really, to me, feels like that this movie is written like it's a bunch of sketches that they just kind of said, "Hey, writers, watch these movies, write some sketches about them," that they kind of string together into a quote-unquote plot. That's kind of, and I don't feel that way about the first one. Yeah, I think the first one had a little bit more time because I, I do mm-hmm. remember reading about, or or they had an interview, I don't know where I got it from, but his, the Wands, I mean, Sean and Marlon said they wrote that script like seven times and their wow. brother Keenan rejected every one of them. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> Until they got it right. Okay, um, so they had the luxury so they, of being able to do it multiple traps. Yeah, so they had plenty of time because they really wanted to do it, and it took them years. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, and rejection from their own brother was pretty tough. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I respect, I re- I respect Keenan for that a lot, actually. I, I don't know much of the story about the production of the first one. I'm, I'm imagining they probably had the script, I guess, after Keenan approved it, and then they sold it? Like, Miramax bought it, I guess? Probably, prob- you know, I don't know that part of it, yeah. but I, I do know they that Keenan rejected every time they came up with an idea until they got it right, and then he like maybe he took it there or sold it or something, mm-hmm, but right. it just became a, a hit. And if you watch it, it does, you know, it takes Scream and it just keeps it going throughout. Mm-hmm. Where this one, you know, they're talking about, you know, unless you are familiar with House on Haunted Hill and, and all these stuff, if you watch those films, because at the time they were popular, I did see it mm-hmm. in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and the haunting and all that stuff but um but it this one like you said it does feel like there were multiple sketches and they just intertwined and, and moved it the story along and i think mm-hmm. the only part that kind of moved it was the was the character the dwight then you have the professor <laughs> that kind of <laughs> kept it going throughout um and it but but like i said you had to really watch those films and i think the films that they used um, i don't think they're as good or not yeah, maybe not think... as good but they don't have the kind of the big impact that scream and i know what you did last summer did for that first yeah. film yeah I, I think so i yeah <laughs> well luckily Mir- miramax gave them plenty to work with so while the first one had a budget of 19 million they were handed a 45 million dollar budget for scary movie 2 <laughs> yeah but they still had a shorter time so yes it, you can give someone a, a, a you know a gazillion dollars and if you got six months to create a film and you starting from scratch it doesn't mm. matter because when it boils down you got the time you got to find the set you got to build the set you got to get mm-hmm. the actors ready well, you know you got to get all that in nine months yeah <laughs> i mean i i don't disagree with you at all there was one funny anecdote though where like the james woods character father mcfeely he was originally cast with marlon brando and he got a million dollars for it he filmed for one day 
unfortunately contracted, I think, pneumonia and had to back out. They let him keep the money and then paid James Woods another million dollars to work for four days to do the opening of the film. <laughs> madness. Apparently, they also wanted President Clinton to do that role. And he was like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, can you imagine President Clinton doing this role where he's like humping Natasha Leone? <laughs> Can't imagine. Well, it would be kind of funny because then it, it, be. it get to the point where you know when I guess the 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 Kane's wife was you know entertaining comic folk. I mean, was it common folk or something? And then mm-hmm. Anna Ferris, Cindy Anna Ferris character grabs a dress and has like a stain. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh. Do you com- all remember that? Like, yes, the the cum stain <laughs> where she looks at it, and she goes, "Ew." <laughs> I mean, I actually feel terrible because we've gone like how like thirty minutes and haven't even just mentioned Anna Ferris, who I do think her her and Regina Hall are like the backbones of this franchise. They yeah. are so funny. Yes. Their comedic timing is perfect. Yeah. yeah, they're selling even the weak jokes. I do think a lot of the <laughs> men are kind of falling down a little bit on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the the two Wayans brothers have their characters down pat. So as long as you like what they're doing, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. But like, oh man, David Cross and. Ooh, uh, well, <laughs> we'll talk about the low-hanging fruit of some of these jokes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> low-hanging fruit. <laughs> That's a good one. Is that a, is that a joke because he can't use his legs, Trace? Rude. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, in the first one, you have that Miss Man character who has literally like low-hangers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was... oh, when I saw that in the theater, I was on my knees. I was laughing so hard. Because I was trying to convince, I said, no, that is a woman. And as somebody was like, mm-hmm. no, that's a man. And I was like, no, it's a bodybuilder. Yep. It's just, a, it's a really a woman. She just <laughs> really worked but, out a lot. But but that's humor, right? <laughs> that's humor. I mean, again, maybe you could tweak it by, but like that would not be made today because oh, that is. Oh, no. 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 Miss man. <laughs> the minute she shows up on screen, you're just like, oh, no. And they touched her elbow. She's like, yeah. Oh, no. Anna Ferris is like, Ugh. like the way she, she does this, like, I, I swear to God, like 50 times in each movie. And every time it's just funny. Which is like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, this, uh, it's not, this movie's actually, it, it was the least successful entry in the franchise money wise up until the fifth movie, which really fucking bombed this movie. But it does open with 20 and a half million dollars, uh, which is pretty strong, I think. Um, it goes on to gross $71.3 million. So I, I think if we're talking, oh, it was the weakest at the time, like $71 million for a hard R-rated comedy is really, really good. That Yeah, especially in 2001 mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just because it's such a steep drop from that first film and they invested so much more in it that you can't help but look at it as a commercial failure by comparison. Yeah, and I, and that's because so the the second most successful one is the third film, and about just you had mentioned that you know they, the way and sold it off. So I don't know if that's the exact politics behind it, but if it is, like they bring in you know Zucker, the guy that is airplane, and they PG thirteenify it. And I remember, mm-hmm. so <laughs> okay. that's how you make more money. I remember being, you know, like I couldn't see these movies in theaters and I remember seeing the commercials for Scary Movie 3 and it would always have like this film is not yet rated at the bottom, like the tag. And I was like, I remember praying to God because I was like really like super Catholic at the time and being like, please let it be PG-13. Please let it. And my mom looked at me and goes, you know, it's not. Those movies are really raunchy. And I was like, no, please. And I remember seeing PG-13 for the first time and I literally was so happy. I made my mom take me to go see it. 
and she did not like it. But I was going to say, I cannot imagine that went well. <laughs> <laughs> so this does not get really good reviews by critics. We're looking at a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 3.5 out of 10, but a letterbox score of 4.8 out of 10. And yeah, again, like this is one that... um. I think when you mention this franchise, I really think this is the movie that people talk about the most. I think it has the most memorable jokes in it, be they good or just plain offensive. And I think that's probably where the staying power comes from for this movie. Right. Uh, no, you can rebut that, Avotris. <laughs> um, I mean, this movie is time, you know, because I, I watched it again and I just laugh. I just, I think because uh, I, 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 I love the movies that it was referencing. Because when I saw it in 2001, some of the movies I've seen, I think my knowledge of horror mm-hmm. grew from there. So obviously I've seen, you know, The, the Haunting, The House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Mission Impossible reference. John Woo in his films. I think that is Mission yeah. Impossible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number two. He always got to have them birds and pigeons everywhere. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many. And there's Hollow Man. See, I've seen those films even before that film came out. And then now when, as an adult, I see the, you know, that those were remakes of different ones and stuff like right. that. So some of them, you had to really think about it because there's House on Haunted Hill However, they were parroting that, but then there's also the the house the on Haunted Hill. Wait, <laughs> wait, with Vincent Price now, oh, yeah. and then I was like the skeleton. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came from because I was trying to figure out where's the skeleton. The only place that I could get that from was House on. I mean, there's other spots that it probably could have came, but that's the only reference that popped in my head. So you're you are right. Actually, I didn't even think about that being a thing. But there actually is in the remake of The Haunting, Lily Taylor like fishes through a fireplace and pulls out a skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think even like the herky jerky motion that it has when it's chasing Brenda and Cindy down the hall, it's a hundred percent the exact same herky jerky motion from the Vincent Price one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of like, okay, like, okay, like, an example, and so we can move into the plot now, Joe. But like in the opening scene, whenever they're blessing Natasha Lyonne. Uh, you have Andy Richter going, and who got that unholy bitch Jerry kicked off of Survivor? Right. That is like a season one or season two reference to Survivor. Season I one. I know what it means. Okay. I Because I, I remember Jerry. But like, again, what a, is that joke funny to anyone today? You know? So it's that kind of stuff where I'm like, there's there's certain jokes that work because I think the situational aspect of them works. But when they dive into like a specific deep cut Survivor reference, because at the time, that Jerry stuff was fucking huge. It was everywhere. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But no one today who didn't live that is going to know that. So that. That's my only issue with some of the jokes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. I could agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm not trying to prove you. I'm, really, I'm not trying to be the negative Nancy here. I actually do enjoy some of this movie. <laughs> But then, then you also have, you know, someone, what is Survivor? What movie is that? Or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's how we all feel fucking old. And to be fair, you know, like, I don't think that, you know, the first scary movie it's coming out, it came out like five months after Scream 3 came out. So there had already been three Screams and two I Know You Last Summers. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, 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 with this one, it was kind of like, oh, they're targeting movies that were big at the time, which again, it's like Hollow Man. It's The Haunting. It's The House on yeah. Haunted Hill. 
which, you know, it's kind of like they're guessing which ones are going to be cultural milestones in 20. I mean, not that they would care because they, they, they got money for it, but <laughs> it just in terms of staying power. But it is true, right? Like with with the first film, they had the luxury of knowing that Scream and, and I Know What You Did Last Summer were already certified hits. Like they landed big. They were well regarded by horror fans. So they knew that they were good properties to build off of. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it was like the way the timeline that it went into production. Yeah, they would have been guessing about whether these films would work. And it's like anybody who's seen that new haunting movie, no, new 1999 haunting. <laughs> like we all, it, it was disappointing at the time. But they didn't know that. <laughs> well, right. And then also the reference from the first one was Blair Witch. Which, right. Yeah. And that was super popular. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think you can tell, though, because, yeah, they, they only use that one bit from Blair Witch, which is, you know, the, from the trailer. <laughs> yeah. The, the snot nose running. But, hey, it worked. Yeah. It, it, it does you know, work. Was she waiting in the car? And then he was like, oh, we're going to talk to this defenseless girl sitting here waiting oh my God. for her boyfriend. <laughs> and she just, I love that. <laughs> I was like, I laughed. Oh, my God. Because it's like, have you ever thought he could be murdered today? She's like, oh, oh yeah. And then all of a sudden, the killer comes out and like, drag her out of and, the car. And, see, that's, but, and so that's dumb. where it's kind of like, yeah, but that's like a genuinely funny thing. Which, okay, you're kind of commenting on a standard horror trope. At the time, people were more aware of tropes because screen was like mainstream pointing them out yeah whereas yeah and so i like that whereas yeah like i mean again i'm laughing at jerry getting kicked off survivor but again in hindsight it's probably not really a genuinely quote-unquote it's not like it's not a staying power of that kind of scene yeah yeah because one works like one is funny regardless and the other one is like if you don't get this reference it doesn't work at all right Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, well, let's go into this. So we're going to do the movie kind of in segments because that's kind of how it's constructed. It doesn't really have a a huge overall plot. But I did want to say one thing before we get into this. We're obviously, we've, we've acknowledged it a couple of times at this point, but this movie is built on offensive humor. And I think it should be acknowledged that I... Like, there's a lot of gay panic in this particular movie uh, with the character of Ray. And just from mm-hmm. our perspective as a queer horror <laughs> podcast, obviously, we wanted mm-hmm. to touch on that. But, like, I think part of this is that it's hard to be offended by any of the jokes in any of these first two scary movie films because everyone is a target. Like, mm-hmm. like women are targets. Black culture is targets. Uh, queer culture, transphobic humor. Like, it none of it has aged well but it's all working in the same way because everybody is going to get hit at some point mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think on that note i mean again you it's also like you know we're, we're in 2021 looking back on like 2001 films like it's hard it, it's not fair to this film to put those kind of standards on it but also like that just kind of was the humor at the time like it wasn't just scary movie 2 that was being no like homophobic or doing gay panicky things like that was like teen movies like i mean Mm -hmm. some of my favorite like she's all that does that shit (laughs) and i love she's all that (laughs) yeah yeah there was a lot of bro equivalent humor happening at this time so this was very much just what was happening at that cultural moment i will say the jokes with ray never really bother me when they're just like oh he's gay that's the joke i mean I get that I should be offended by that, probably. It's more so when other people are bothered that he might be gay. Like, if it's just, oh, he he sent a sexy photo to Dwight that's like, oh, silly, he's gay, whatever. I'm not really bothered by that. But when it's like, 
oh, Ray fucked me and that would be the worst thing that ever happened to me, that's kind of where I'm like, oh, that doesn't really, like, make me laugh very much. Even though, like, again, I know it's riffing on Dude, Where's My Car, which... (laughs) (laughs) That's also random to me. That scary movie is pulling in Dude, Where's My Car. You know, I also um, want to point out something. It kind Mm -hmm. of just flew in my brain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That I think this film worked. Or any, or both of them, or... Or all of them. Well, I would say these two because they really focus on the offensive part. But mm-hmm. I want to say that the scary one and two worked because of who made them. Right. I think if they were not black, it wouldn't work. I think it becomes more offensive during the time. And I, and <clears throat> I know how that sounds, but I'm just trying to think of how the culture is like okay, if black people are doing offensive things, we find it funny. Mm -hmm. But if it was turned the other way and they wrote the exact same film, it would be a problem if if it was non-black. Huh. (laughs) So in a way, they they almost had like more creative license because they, they could get away with it. Is that sort of what you're saying? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I've seen films where it was flipped and it didn't go so well or someone's idea sketches or something. And it's like, oh, they're being they're being blackface or they're discriminating towards. But I when I see black culture doing the same thing, it's like they get away with it a little bit like it. it's not not I want to say get away with it because I yeah. sounds kind of offensive, but it, it, I'm saying that they they're more successful at it, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Well, I wonder if that's maybe it's an extra insight because there are there it's a marginalized community, right? Like I've also right. seen like I mean even in the queer community I've seen the same thing where I've seen queer people do things and I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of offensive." But it's not I, I guess people don't jump on it as quickly as if it's a non-queer person making a queer joke, you know? I don't know. Hmm. Well, it's like a, com- a comedy person. I mean, if you if a black person talks about how white people are acting or, you know, or how anyone's doing, mm-hmm, right. everybody's laughing. I mean, if you walk, grew up, I grew up with Deaf Comedy Jam. They they touched on everything. But mm-hmm. if, you know, the same type of, you know, um, jokes was said by a white person, um, it would be looked kind of differently, except for yes. there are some who seem to get the free pass card <laughs> <laughs> because they learned how to tell a joke without offending any culture by making fun of themselves in that culture. And there is a co- hmm. comedian, I can't think of his name, but he's been on Deaf Comedy Jam and a couple of them. And he's white. Oh my God, I can't think of his name. And he's really funny. He's married to a black woman, have black, you know, have kids mm-hmm. and his friends. And he always make fun of himself, not understanding black culture. And I think that's how you get away. Well, not get away, but that's how he's like, okay, he is not offensive. But when I watch these films now, like I'm thinking now, back then I was young. Ha ha ha. Is it Gary Owen? There you go. Yeah, he is known for that. But that's how he started. He started at, you know, he started everywhere else, but I think he made a hit at Deaf Comedy Jam. And then he went on from there. It was uh, one comedy that came on BET that I used to watch all the time. And he, he made a killing doing it that way. But but going back to the film, as a person thinking today, I think yeah. if I was, you know, I'm watching now, I say it would be made today. 
it'd be offensive. However, because you, if, if you pay attention, who's telling the jokes? Right. Not, I mean, because each one of the characters, Sandy, you know, Brenda, they all have their way. But if you see who's telling them, it's not offensive at that, you know, at that time. I think this was offensive back then, but people just didn't care as much because it was funny. I mean, sorry, not that people didn't, maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but like, it was... It was uh, it was more okay to be offensive back then, and like Joe said, like yeah, they're really offending everybody here. It's like they're just targeting one community of people, and so mm-hmm. that's also what helps it in, in that regard. But also, it still goes back to who's saying what, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because you yeah. have Shorty, who's talking, who's saying, you know, I, I want to get high like a nigga pie. I mean, you're not gonna excuse me. I don't know if I can say it. <laughs> <laughs> But but you see, but you're not going to see Cindy sitting next to him saying that too. I mean, you know, it, it, it's who's saying it. Yes. It's written in a way for the joke to be said by a certain individual and doing something in the movies. I think that's how it able to work. That's a good segue into the opening of this film then actually, because we do have white people dropping the M-bomb in this first scene. Yeah, we do. <laughs> because the way they're doing it. Okay. Yeah. Now think about how they're doing it. They're playing a song with the mm-hmm. lyrics. That's yeah. how they were able. It was funny as hell. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're like, shake your ass. Watch yourself. <laughs> That's a real song. And they just did the whole lyrics. So mm-hmm. it does cut to, if you ever remember when they were, uh, it was like this thing, like, when is it okay to say it? When it's in the lyrics? Right. <laughs> And they well, played on that. It's also it's also parroting, yeah, white people who probably were singing that song at the time who looked really dumb singing it. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing, right? Is the joke in this particular moment is about white people being foolish and not knowing better. <laughs> so that is the joke. Like you're meant to laugh at that, not the fact that they're saying offensive things. Yeah. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say I am a sucker for a vomit scene. So this opening sequence when they just take turns throwing up on each other kills me. Are you a sucker for a poop scene? Uh, I don't mind a poop scene. Like I don't laugh as much at the parrot like shitting bullets against the wall at the end of this movie. I love the parrot. (laughs) Oh, he was talking about James Woods in the bathroom. Yeah. I laughed. I was crying because I had that happen. Uh, the, <laughs> I've had situations like that. I under I didn't have flies on me, but <laughs> well, and see that, that's something again. So I think that's a joke. That is, uh, I'm, I promise I won't spend this entire episode being like, well, this is why this is funny and this is not funny. But that joke works for me because that's a reference to Amityville Horror because the priest blesses the house and the flies come in. But it's yeah. funny regardless if you know that or not because it's just flies coming on his shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, and the way that it's also filmed where you think that he is performing some kind of exorcism and then it's, right. you know, the edit reveals, oh, no, he's actually just trying to have a bowel movement. Hey, yeah, if exactly. you had a terrible bowel movement, it feels like an exorcism. This is true. <laughs> and, and honestly, this these kinds of jokes remind me of some of these other, like, great, like, there's a lot of humor to be mined out of bodily functions. So I think of, you know, the shitting scene in Bridesmaids where she has to go in the middle of the street and um, also... Harold, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle with the battle shits right um, and then... <laughs> oh my god that was that too much of a deep cut <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it forever it's, 
It's always when it's like a pretty person that's pooping. Like that's like because they actually redo it in the fourth room with Carmen Electra. They have Carmen Electra in a village spoof. Like she's blind and she shits in the town meeting. <laughs> oh, <no>. oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like defacing a beautiful woman by making her do something vulgar. Yeah. But that's what makes it cool. Yeah. Yep. But no, that, yeah. that's that's the funny thing. Like, look at this gorgeous person. Although, in this case, it's James Woods. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, see, Boo. it took a million dollars to get him to do that scene. <laughs> it did. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> oh, my God. That and, and humping Natasha Leon. Yes. Oh, Play yeah. This pedophilic yeah. priest named Father <laughs> And the tongue scene, oh, wow. I, I do have one question that always bothered me, though. Whenever she's like, oh, your mother's in here with us. And he's like, mom, get out of there, please. She gets out and she goes, you're no fun? Like, she's asking a question. And I was <laughs> always confused by that. I was like, why is she asking him if he's no fun? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he used to be fun. And now it's like, you're no fun. Well, oh, you know so that weird. scene where Natasha has that tongue in her mouth? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now that tongue, they had security in there because that's the tongue, and it was it's worth like I don't know Wait, hundreds of hundreds. Huh? The tongue, like the tongue, tongue that was in her mouth where she was waving it at James Woods, and he was like looking at her all sexually. The tongue in her mouth is from The Exorcist. They put it in her really? mouth, but it oh, had wow. it had security because it's from the actual movie. So right. there was security in the room watching. That's amazing. Because it's insured <laughs> and it's over it's it's worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So Man. um in order to film the whoever security was in there watching to make sure nothing happens to it. That's why you never see her put it no one touches it or it right. or she even puts it close into her mouth. She always have her tongue hanging out mm-hmm. to make sure it doesn't get damaged. And as soon as they shot it, as soon as she were finished, they they took it. It goes mm. back in the vault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It's <laughs> too funny. Um, okay, shall we move on to the introduction of this giant cast of people? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading my notes. I got the yamin. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we open at college. So this is meant to be about a year after the events of the first film. We're reintroduced to Cindy Campbell, who is played by Anna Ferris. We've got Brenda Meeks, Regina Hall, Ray Wilkins, played by Sean Wayans, and Shorty Meeks, Marlon Wayans, who are, uh, you know, even though several of them died in the first film, yeah. they managed to come back. Continuity is not a big thing for these films. <laughs> I'm telling you, I remember a TV spot, though, where someone, like, where Shorty walks up to Anna Ferris and she goes, didn't you die in the first movie? He's like, yeah, but I'm back for the sequel. Yeah. I mean, which is a joke that would fit right into this movie. Yes, but they <laughs> cut it out for some reason. I don't really get it. Yeah. <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised to know that there are a million jokes on the cutting room floor and this is like the ones that work the best. Mm-hmm. So we also meet new characters. We have Alex who is played by Tori Spelling and I had to look it up because I don't think they ever say her name in the film. I literally just read Tori Spelling. Alex Monday, which because that's the joke, right? Like she gets days of the week confused on her panties. Right. <laughs> she had on Wednesdays and it was Friday. <laughs> but it didn't good. stop him though. It didn't stop him. No. no it did no. not. People are people are actually pretty good at like not body shaming disgusting things in these movies. Like they're actually pretty like if you're down to fuck, you will overlook a giant bush, you will overlook yeah. a small penis, you will overlook dirty panties. 
honestly, there aren't really any like um yeah, it's not really a lot of body shame. Even in the first one, like the only like fat joke really is the um the Rose McGowan death, the garage door scene. Oh yeah. yeah. I digress. <laughs> yeah. Although it is still funny because I get to quote that, oh horsey, you scared me. <laughs> Why is there a horse in a garage? <laughs> kill, don't kill me. I'm just a day player. I do. Oh. See, those are the those are the lines that really work for me because I'm like, oh, they're inside baseball. So people who know films can laugh at these. Right. But they're also timeless. Like that joke still kills 20 years later. That's yeah. from the first one. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. We also have, we have Cindy's friend who wants to be more buddy, who is played by Christopher Masterson. And don't worry, folks. That's the okay Masterson, not the canceled one. Sorry, <laughs> the consequence one. <clears throat> Joe. <laughs> I'm working on it. It's okay. We're we good. also have Sexy Theo, who is played by Kathleen Robertson. And they're all being targeted by Professor Oldman, who is played by Tim Curry, as well as his paraplegic assistant, Dwight Hartman, played by David Cross. That could do everything himself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will confess, I think for me, the comedy that has aged the least well is the depiction of Dwight. Like, I don't mind David Cross, but I find all of the humor about not being able to use your legs just so fucking ableist. And it's like, it, it, it makes me cringe quite a bit in this film. I like him when he blows himself. I think that's funny. But then it just kind of, it's not even the fact that it's ableist, which it is ableist. But it's just kind of the fact that it it takes the single joke and drives yes. it into the ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, the funniest <laughs> thing about him is the fact that he can't use his legs. And you're like, there are other jokes you could tell. <laughs> Granted, it's kind of the same thing with Doofy, but like Doofy has Gail Hailstorm to work off of in that original movie. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. Come to think of it, Dwight doesn't have a lot to play off of. Yeah, it's a, his yeah. defining characteristic is he's in a wheelchair and he likes to try to use his legs when it's clear that he can't. That is his. Mm. That is his shtick. Yeah, or he's in. Maybe he's just in denial. I I don't know. Yeah, or he does. Or it's one of those people who. Who know they can't do something, but don't know, don't want anyone to tell them they can't do it. So yeah, they insist it's... on doing it, even though they're they need help. Because right. when you know he was trying to go up the stairs, talking about cover me, and she's like, "What? Cover me?" <laughs> okay, no, I I think the but the, the the part about that joke that works for me is her reaction to it, where she's literally like looking at him, like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I don't. I, his joke isn't funny. Her right. reaction to it is, and I think that's why Ferris and Brenda and and Paul get a lot of the stuff because they get to react to a lot of the stupid things that are happening. Right. Mm. Yeah, and their jokes, I think, are are a little less controversial for the most part because they're not defined by a single characteristic. Like Brenda's affectation of, that's very, very bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the split the pole joke gets me every time. Oh God. Honestly, Regina Hall for me is... I mean, I love Anna Ferris, but Regina Hall is the MVP of these movies for me, and I'm always disappointed whenever I watch them because I just want more Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah she's, uh, she's, fab she's fabulous <laughs> she's amazing okay so the group is uh they're gonna spend the weekend at this mansion and when they arrive they are met by a verbally abusive parrot a very <laughs> angry cat named mr kittles as well as the caretaker hansen who is played by chris elliott 
Um, fun fact, the DVD for this movie has those animated like menu things, and the okay. parrot narrates the menu for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Does he swear at you? Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. When I saw this, I was trying to... Okay. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> When you know, I, before we even meet the parrot, we have to talk about the door, no- the door knockers. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, the balls. Th- I do think that's funny because I like the howling we get when she actually. <laughs> it was like knock knock. <laughs> I want some door knockers like that. <laughs> oh man. I laughed and laughed. I just thought that was the funniest thing because, I mean, she didn't even think twice about grabbing them. She just knocked on them. <laughs> As you do. Now, I don't know what people would think about that now, but it sure did work for me. <laughs> well, okay. Does Mr. Hansen's strong hand work for you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm willing to bet it works the charm for both of you, and I'm just over here in the corner being like, oh, no. The only thing I was thinking the entire time was like that hand must stink. <laughs> like what? Like I felt like I could smell the hand through the screen. <laughs> so it's it's nothing Chris Elliott because I I I Joe I think we're of light minds on this. I don't particularly like Chris Elliott. I don't think he's funny, and I never really have. But what works for me about every time that fucking hand comes up is everyone's reactions to it. The dinner yeah. scene does go on for like... It's just a little too long, yeah. <laughs> but again, watching them all just be so grossed out by this hand, it's it's just so funny. Even even when Dwight's hanging off the house at the end of the movie and he's like, give me your other hand! <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not because of Chris Elliott, it's because of everyone else how they're reacting to it. Yeah. That is very fair. Yeah, because I was thinking about this. I laugh when Kristen Wiig does it on SNL or did do it on SNL. Oh, Dunice. So so I think it has everything to do with maybe just finding Chris Elliott not that funny. Maybe. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Yeah, okay. We'll move on. Uh, So next up would be the Changeling Ball and the Nike Freestyle commercial, if we have any thoughts about that. This, this, This Nike commercial goes on... For a hundred years, like it See, is the thing, so. The thing that ahead, annoys no. me about this is that it, the changeling joke is kind of funny. Like Tracy wouldn't get this because you haven't seen it. Yeah, but exactly. it also like the Nike freestyle commercial that builds off of it doesn't actually do anything with the concept. So it looks like you're just watching celebrities reenact something. But if you don't know about the commercial, what is this to you? You know. The biggest comparison I have for it is an airplane. There's that whole running gag about the woman who's like, Jim never orders a second cup of coffee at home. Jim never does blah, blah, blah at home. Jim never does two of these. It's a reference to a commercial from the late 70s, early 80s. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, what they're parodying. But it's still funny because it works even without that context. So that, that that's what I wish that that would have been more up with this Nike commercial, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Like if, if, if the joke is funny, regardless of whether you get the the reference then it's a good joke and if it relies too heavily on that then it is only going to age badly yeah yeah Yeah. i would be very curious to know from listeners maybe younger listeners who do not know what this is does this sequence make any sense to you well it's not even funny though it's not it's not a joke like it's just them doing something (laughs) yeah 
it's not even a parody because it's not a joke. It's actually just them <laughs> recreating. Well, I think it was probably you know they had a rush to it. You know they had yeah, to get right. get something in. It was a pop and culture. It was moment, popular like, during cool, that time. I remember because that I remember that commercial. It was. It, big. Is, it was to forever used to come on. So I guess mm. they figured, oh well, let's let's throw this in there. No, yeah, you're actually so. correct, because the runtime for this movie is 82 minutes, but seven of those minutes are credits. So the movie is 75 minutes long, but if we really want to get sticklers about it, the opening scene is seven minutes long. So the actual movie we're watching <laughs> with Cindy and everyone is a 68-minute movie. Wow. Nice. Yeah, they, they probably sent the second unit off to like film that opening joke so that they could focus on all this other stuff, too. Yeah. But we gotta have Cindy go to the music room. The music room. <laughs> the fucking music room. <laughs> Did you like the vitamin C cameo too? I do like it when people kind of get angry at Cindy, like off <laughs> off camera or in voiceover. I will say too that the jokes about Cindy like having the orangutan titties, like not looking <laughs> like <laughs> those, do work too. <laughs> See, I felt offense. I was offended by that too. I would. Oh, really? I, I was offended because I have orangutan. <laughs> so i understand that that's the like, only I offense i have <laughs> so oh god he tries to lick him <laughs> gotta get into full nelson <laughs> i love it i love it there is that one gay joke here though where buddy's like where she's like oh share things with me and he's like that sounds kind of gay again i think that that to me is the most offensive gay joke in this movie more so than anything that ray does oh my god no oh the clown i, I don't find it offensive i mean i get why it's funny because he's ass raping this clown but like it's <laughs> it he just didn't see a lot of penises on screen right? the first one <laughs> Well, he was tough. Well, he did say it. He was like, "You like it tucked in or out?" And oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that that to me is actually the worst one because it's both transphobic and like it's it's afraid of queers and deeply transphobic. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like we're just past the 30 anniversary of Silence of the Lambs, and uh, you know, you you basically can't make a tucking joke unless you're referring to that film. And when you think right. of the legacy of it, it's uh, it's not great. Yeah. I cannot believe he actually did that. Like, that was so it? yeah, because I would because we you know when you're watching that scene, mm. you're like, is it? T-? You don't know what he's talking about his shirt, and then mm. when you see it, it's like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will say though, ha- have being someone with a penis, I have one hundred percent done that to myself in the mirror. <laughs> oh. We're getting real confessional on this episode, aren't no, we? No, I mean, not something... Re- no, not something... Re- it was like when I was a kid, I did it. Like, I don't know. You're, you're playing with your penis. You find things to do with it. Like, that was just something that I used to do. Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. Okay. <laughs> I just know mine always st- stays tucked in. So. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I could say. I love it. Uh, okay, so... Um, we should maybe also talk about... Do you read the Tory Spelling Sexual Assault by Hugh Kane, who is played by Richard Mull? Do you see this as a homage to Nightmare on Elm Street and Tina's death? I thought it was a, a poltergeist homage, because when the mom gets thrown around the room. Oh. 
okay. That's probably more likely since the the clown is also poltergeist, right? Right. Yeah. yeah there's this. I just remember because uh, yeah, there's a scene when the mom gets thrown around the walls. Um, I do like. I mean, I guess will we call it a subversion where it's like, well, this is actually sexual assault. Um, the image of the penis poking out the back of her head. <laughs> that's oh. something. Um, yeah. But then she's into it, so yeah, it's she like... she's into kinky stuff. So I think that's why it it it, it worked because she was she was like Kink, kinky is my middle name, bitch. So it mm-hmm. uh, so it just completely you know made it okay. <laughs> yeah, it it starts as very problematic and then just becomes subversive. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh, I wish I would have freshened up. <laughs> He's like, I wish you would have freshened up too. And looking at the thing, it was pretty like she just had these little tidy whiteies and she had a little Murphy going on there, <laughs> taking her everywhere. And, and then she was into that kinky stuff until, you know, they're sitting there. She has a cigarette. Oh, Mrs. Huey King. And he was out of there. <laughs> cigarette flying away and everything. I- I, I do think I think this is something that was cut. And I want to say I don't I couldn't find the interview, but there was something recently where Tori Spelling talked about how they they cut out a lot of her character stuff. Yeah, because she has no character. Yeah, like she's basically reduced to a cameo in this movie, um, mm-hmm. despite the fact that. Yeah. And that's another thing too, where it's like just from a pure technical standpoint, like Hugh Kane in the end of this movie when they have to trap him on the fucking pad or whatever. I was like, yeah. wait, what's happening? Why oh, are yeah. they doing this? Why does he care about Autoferris? It makes <laughs> no sense, yeah. There's no motivation for the villain at all, really. Mm-mm. Which, you know, again, is kind of fine. If, you, if you're looking at this movie as, oh, well, tell me about the plot of Scary Movie 2, it's going to be a rough ride. But if you're just watching it from sequence to sequence and joke to joke, then it's it's fine. Can we talk about Anna Ferris fighting a cat? Because I'm deeply into Oh, that. my goodness. I think that was the best fight scene I've ever seen. <laughs> I just love it when it breaks the bottle. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he, 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 here's my issue. I do think it's a funny scene. I love her saying my pussy's going crazy. I love it flipping her off. This is a Rocky parody in yeah. Scary Movie 2. Mm-hmm. Why, why are just we why? getting a Rocky parody in this movie? <laughs> yeah. For the same reason we get a Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I guess we have to go back to we have to find stuff to throw in such a short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I could come up with. Nine months researching, casting. I mean, they were pretty much like against, you know, and they, remember they have their normal lives. They got kids. They got, you know, wives, girlfriends, <laughs> other jobs. No, I'm serious. Like they have really... <laughs> was pushed to the limit and i think that's why they gave up them rights <laughs> right they were like uh, we did this for a couple of years we're good thanks they yeah. made their money and moved on that's that makes it um okay do we have anything to say about ray and the poltergeist clown or are we good on that front <laughs> i mean well the whole time i was trying to figure out who the hell is brandon because he brings up brandon in the first <laughs> i'm like who is brandon I don't know. Uh, I'm just like that. I just was like, who's Brandon? So it's it's Brenda because he's called. Basically, there's a scene in the first one when he's having foreplay with Brenda and he puts football gear on her and starts calling her Brendan. And that's, I think, what he's saying. So he's pretending to fuck his imaginary boyfriend, Brendan. But again, right. as the first one tells us, he's not actually gay. Yeah. Oh. It's interesting because they're like, there could be considered a commentary on a. This is me probably overstepping because it's obviously not my own lived existence. But there's like within 
black men, there is the idea of like the DL and where you say like, I'm not gay. I just happen to fuck guys on the side or whatever. And it feels like there's a bit of commentary about what's going on with Ray there. I mean, obviously you could just read him as repressed, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Part of me kind of wishes that he would take it further. I can, I can agree with that because I've, I've met some black guys who have said stuff like that. You know, they're not. Yeah. So watching that, like even from the first one, you know, I, I, I got it. Like the inside joke to that is I'm not gay, but I'm doing things that are gay. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially in the first one, he went to the bathroom the glory hole thing it's like right you know it's there and when he died he's like laying on the guy's and and it it comes down to subjectivity right where it's like okay well like i could i know why it's funny i'm sorry i know why it's supposed to be funny i know what the joke is do Mm -hmm. i find that funny and that's where humor much like horror is the most subjective of of like emotions right where it's like What one person finds scary, another person might not. What one person finds funny, another person might not. So yeah. again, like I, with these jokes, I'm like, I get why it's funny. I chuckle at some of them because I I grew up in the early 2000s. I I was in the midst of all that gay panic shit, so I get it. It just yeah, I mean, obviously, 20 years later, I'm just kind of like, ah, okay, <laughs> like, I don't have to like find this funny anymore. <laughs> so yeah, I I agree. I guess we, you know, when you're talking about films, you you always, I think, at some point, you have to remember where it came out, like the mm-hmm. year, yes. the time period, and actually critique it for the time period. Because mm-hmm. if you try to critique it now, it's you're it's all no, this ain't gonna work. It's it, I mean, you're comparing it to other films of today, and it just won't work, at least for me. I also don't mean to imply, too, that like if anyone, if I, it's not, if, if you find that joke funny, it doesn't mean you're homophobic. Just yeah. like if they, any joke in this movie, like if we were to go that route, then literally everyone would be like culpable for anything in this movie because, yeah, everything's offensive in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just important to acknowledge that there there are going to be people who are going to watch this and be like, I can't find any of this funny because I am just con- repeatedly offended. Um, right. But I think it's actually more interesting to try to challenge which jokes work for you, if any, and why or why not. So like for me, I, I don't like this joke where he, you know, it's it's another version of what happened with the Tory Spelling where it's like you think it's going to go one way, it goes another mm-hmm. way, but it's still a joke about sexual assault. Whereas for me, the joke about Cindy switching faces with Ray and they're both wearing the red dress from What Lies Beneath the Pillows, <laughs> I think that's funny because then the joke is, it's not like, oh my God, it's Ray in a dress. The joke is he got the dress on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and he came down for a banana. Sure. People like to eat know, bananas right? in these movies. <laughs> So this next set piece, though, Shorty's Weed Plant Smoking Hand, that was one that drove the kids wild when I was a kid. Oh, my gosh. I don't find this particularly funny, but I again, I do know why it's funny, but it's just like, okay. <laughs> it, oh, it, it, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> I'm sorry. When he was getting that plant on, uh, you know, watering, getting all these rappers to do dumb shit, I got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> but, you know, nothing. I, I love the hip-hop Christmas <laughs> 
album. Oh, I do like that. Oh, no, oh, that I do my like. Goodness. That one's good. Was it Sled, Sleigh Ride in my 64, Jingle Balls, <laughs> Frosty the Dope Man, Any of Bitches Christmas. All I want for Christmas is my charges drop. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the reason that that works is because you could be like, like I can almost imagine an actual Christmas album coming out with some of those songs. Like the the one all I want for Christmas is are my charges drop. I'm like, okay, I can a hundred percent see that. And see, that's something that it's parodying like those CD commercials of it always are on TV. We don't yes. have those anymore, so mm-hmm. young kids won't get the reference. But it's still right. funny because there's a joke within the reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Hopefully, they ever have a. I thought it would have been cool if they would have actually had CDs for their like gimmick or whatever to promote the movie or something oh my like God, that. that. They would sell out. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you if they had a normal production time, that would have happened. Yeah. Right. Cause I remember yeah. when, um, I think when the ring came out and maybe Blair Witch, I heard rumors of people, this might be an urban legend, but I heard rumors that people had video cassettes left on their cars when they came out of the theater. So like you would watch the ring and then come out and you would have a VHS tape on the windshield of your car. Oh, oh that would that be, <laughs> that would be really cool. Come on now. Yeah. Uh. That would be cool. <laughs> You're like, that'd be really cool. And also fuck that shit. I'd give that to somebody I didn't like and be like, hey, can you just watch this tape? Tell me what's on it. <laughs> Oh, that's so mean. <laughs> but but that that whole thing, obviously that's a poltergeist uh, reference. But yeah, that was so funny. And he's like, I mean, that plant was kind of spooky. <laughs> I love the animatronic plant. Yeah, and he gets rescued from with Funyuns and Cheetos. <laughs> well, that, and that is where some of that forty five million dollar budget went because I, I, to the stop motion effects of the plant and the skeleton. <laughs> Things don't come for like, free. Yeah, and got smoked, and he said, "I'm getting high as a motherfucker." <laughs> tope, tope, take it to the head. Take it to the. Head. <laughs> oh my goodness, that 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 I just loved it. I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the best scenes. I mean, there's so many, but I think that was kind of one one of them that were just, man. If they had more time, <laughs> that's really good. So because mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't go anywhere, right? Like it feels like the kind of thing where if you had more time and yeah, the budget that you can play around with, you could have that creature come back at a later scene. But here it's like they just rescue Shorty and then we never see this creature again. No, I get sucked yeah. out the window. Right? Like, oh, yeah. If we had like a big showcase where Hugh Kane like teamed up with the pop monster and the clown <laughs> and mm-hmm. like all this. Yeah, I, I, like yeah, a real like, you house of that. horrors. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're about. To, I, I I really think I really think narratively speaking, and again, I know the narrative doesn't really fucking matter in a movie like this, but I really think narratively speaking, it's this last act, quote unquote yeah. act, assuming there's a narrative structure that really you can tell they were just like, oh, finish the script. We got to start filming in like a week because once he possesses Hanson, it's like, what? What are you doing? Like, so he's the bad? I I don't know. None of that makes any sense to me. Well, let's maybe jump ahead to some Hollow Man references. So, Victor (laughs) Oldman is killed. Uh, Tim Curry gets nothing to do in this movie, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, Dwight gives them all guns and goggles. They're state-of-the-art, which means that there's no money left for communication, so they get Dixie Cups. (laughs) I know. I love Brenda's reaction to that those are Disney I, caps I, yeah, <laughs> yes. I, 
I'm sorry. There is one good line from Brenda though. When when basically when when Dan is it no the Masterson brother. That's fine. Um, when Buddy yes. tells them, "Oh, we can't leave," and Brenda like it's like the it, it, they cut off the beginning, but at the end of her line where she pulls a cleaver out, she goes, "I will chop that little cripple up." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Or you could be like, Ray, get me some duct tape and some Vaseline. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? I, I do. I like the Dixie Cups. I think they dip into that well about one too many times. Because by the yeah. time, like, by the time it, like, the last time they do it, I'm kind of like, okay, we get the joke. Like, it's, don't do it again. Yeah, I like it when Anna Ferris is doing it to herself, but not so much when she's doing it with Ray and he's just around the corner. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> or the I really did love the the whole splitting up. He was like, "We're gonna split yes. up," and she's like, "Ah ah ah ah!" Every time <laughs> that's so good, you split up and y'all go together. What's what's you know? No, I feel like too. That's one of the few times that the movie was actually making a commentary on horror tropes. I guess. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 it's it, this movie doesn't really do make fun of horror tropes specifically in this movie. Maybe because they exhausted it all in the first movie. But again, those yeah. are a lot of slasher tropes. There could have been like I, I guess what name haunted house tropes, right? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, oh, I guess the one with Cindy looking like Hugh Kane's wife, like that—that's another one, kind of. A little bit, yeah, like some ghostly but, stuff. Yeah, the people being yeah. seduced by something that has a very scary face. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is why you put a paper bag over it and fuck it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, that's, that's, I think that's an insight thing. Because I've met, you know, in the black culture of the girls got a nice body, it's okay. But an ugly face, don't, you know, it's yeah, either they have face. a pretty face or or an ugly body or something mm -hmm. like that. So, so the whole bag over the face is like, you know, you'll still screw it. You know, as long mm. as the body's okay. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I yeah. get that. See, that's a, I think to me, it's an inside black thing. I mean, which is, in, you know, we, we, there, are, it's entirely possible that we are not, because we are two white men, <laughs> we don't have that insight. <laughs> like, we're not was, part of that culture, so we're not familiar with it. Well, it was weird because my, my reference point was uh, the Christian character in Nip Tuck. I think it's like season four does this to a female patient where she finds him right. very attractive. And he's like, I will fuck you, but I'm going to make you wear this paper bag. And it's one of the worst moments of that series because it is so humiliating. Whereas here, I think it's like it's a good subversion where you think Shorty's about to bite it. And then, of course, he ends up finding himself a, a lady friend. But that trope, or not the trope, but like that, that kind of like the butterface phrase and like the right. bat put a bag over her head, like that existed before that. Oh, well, right? before. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> this is before that. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so Cindy and Buddy investigate the furnace. This is where she awakens Hugh's skeleton and it begins to chase her. And this to me is one of the funniest moments in this film. Oh, no, it, it, it is the funniest moment in the film. I, <laughs> I, this is literally never ceases to make me laugh. Every time Brenda is like, let yes. that shit just mutilate her white ass and leave. <laughs> <Die>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why does that bitch have to bring that shit to me? <laughs> and Cindy's like on the ground, like going, ah, Brenda. <laughs> and she's like, die, bitch, die. <laughs> <laughs> This is so good. And I, I I, don't know if it's actually funny or if it's just because Regina Hall is so good at delivering these lines and giving off this attitude. It could be her. 
Yeah, could be I, I, I mean, again, imagine people can say this line with energy, but yeah, it just there's something about Regina Hall's affectation as Brenda, like the way yes. she speaks, it just makes it funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's speaking in that slang turn, slang way or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't do it. I, I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> she she delivers way better than I could ever do. <laughs> well, I'll I'll admit actually on this rewatch, I did wonder if it was something where I was like, "Oh fuck, am I a white person laughing at a very stereotypical depiction of a black woman and the way that she speaks?" And I was like, "Fuck, is that why I like Brenda so but, much?" Because it's but like... but but then you have though it, it's again created by black people. So again, that's where Ivochus is right. Where it's like, okay, well, where is it coming from? Like, mm. who who is making these jokes? Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, if you had a white person writing this movie, writing that like that character like that, right. or even a white person doing the Brenda voice, mm-hmm. that would be that would be more offensive, right? Yeah. I mean, there, I, there I, is I, a very funny joke with Cindy early on where Shorty is trying to teach her like slang and she's just so terrible at it. <laughs> and then she ends up accidentally mugging that girl. <laughs> like, run that shit, bitch. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> funny because you're like, Anna Ferris could not be whiter in those moments, right? But I loved it though. I just laughed. She like got that jacket, and that's when, yeah, you know, to go fast when like, oh, be very careful. <laughs> Somebody just got oh, yeah. their ass whooped and got their jacket yes! stolen. No. <laughs> and see, no, that's like a call. I'm great. It's from like the, it's the a callback, previous yeah. scene, but the callback works. I love that. Like some some white girl got her ass beat and got her jacket stolen today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good. So good. Okay, why don't we hop ahead to Cindy and Buddy in the freezer. So this is where they get locked into the freezer and they have a misunderstanding about taking their friendship to the next level. She thinks that that means doing things like recreating walking on the moon while he manipulates her into giving him a hand job. Yeah. Um, so I do think it, it's a very juvenile joke. It's it, but I, My qualm comes not from the fact that it's a juvenile joke, but more so that, A, they already did it in the first movie, and it's also doing a Titanic reference, which they also did in the first movie, when they make you think it's a Titanic tr- 2 trailer, but it's Amistad 2. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's not even the fact that I find this whole set piece particularly... <laughs> I'm like, I didn't find any of this funny, but listening to you laugh about this is like killing me right now. That Your is like, like is so the great. best scene. Oh my God. I'm like, it tears. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> my issue. Yeah. Is that they're, they're just redoing what they did in the first movie, which I'm like, yeah. okay, like if I had not seen the first movie, I would find this very funny. What I actually find funnier about this scene. I mean, okay. Again, we have the huge semen thing, which is just, the splat yeah. noise is great. It's I actually thing. think the funnier moment is when she builds the bulldozer out of like a slinky. <laughs> <laughs> MacGyver. <laughs> He's the only one I could do that. <laughs> yep, some duct tape and Vaseline. She's got herself a full blown bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, MacGyver, man. Maybe that was, I don't know. Because I don't remember nothing like, well, you know what? Wait a minute. 
Wait, in Hollow Mitten, there was something where she did something to get out of there. She builds like a magnet type thing, which it, it, but it's kind of quick. It's not like the Shaun of the Dead fast style editing where it's like boom, 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 boom. But it's done like that where she grabs a couple things and she has a magnet already and she can like slide the lock over. But yeah. in this one, she builds like a mini bulldozer. <laughs> And I will reiterate Anna Ferris like, doing this fucking Dixie cup. And she's like, I'm not getting anything. It must be these walls or something. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dumb joke. But it works because of her. But what I do love how the way they did it, even in such a short amount of time, is that they'll show someone doing something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. people watching will either roll their eyes or know that they're doing something ridiculous. Yes. I mean, if you ever yeah. catch that, I mean... It's not like everyone's falling for it the entire time. And I think those moments do work well in this movie. I mean, again, I watched Scary Movie 5 today, and there's a scene where the girl from Modern Family is doing the tongue split from the Evil Dead remake. Okay. And she basically is about to put the box cutter on her tongue and then looks at the audience, raises her eyebrows to be like, uh-huh, and then like makes a joke about it. Oh, like, no. mm. like, I need the other characters to have the wink-wink, nudge-nudge, not the, hey, audience, do you get this joke? And I think, yeah, th- I think this movie is stronger for not breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, Shorty did break the fourth wall in this one. Because remember when all three of them were standing there after the three right. took off, and he looked at the screen, was like, "Ain't that about a bitch?" <laughs> right. <laughs> and they were all three, and they was like, "Oh, we go die, y'all." <laughs> I will say, I often feel like Shorty is in his own movie in these first two films. Like he's just off doing his own thing, and it's kind of a great showcase. But I'm also like why is he not more integrated into the rest of this movie his part's bigger in this movie too it's even smaller in the first one oh, no i guess his whole thing is he's a stoner that's all it is yeah yeah he's got, and he's that's her brother the... and so they're just yeah right. oh right right did they Which even they address never address in this movie no <laughs> <laughs> um we can skip this wheelchair gunfight. Yeah, I, I this this goes on for too long. It goes on for too long. It's not funny at all. Let's jump forward to Hanson being possessed, and he. We have this Hannibal joke where Whack Pack member Beetlejuice is living inside <laughs> Shorty's head. I was like, oh, I do not get this one at all. I don't either. <laughs> I, I I was not I, I was not in on this joke. <laughs> I was like, I do not watch Howard Stern. I do not know who Beetlejuice is. I had to look him up to see if he was a real person or if it was just <laughs> supposed to be a funny character living inside Shorty's head. When I first saw that, I was like, man, they made him look bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I didn't know who that was until I saw him in something else. And I was like, oh, that's him. I was like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I thought it was makeup, but it's not. Yeah. No, that's, no, that's how so he looks. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I'm not laughing at that. I just thought <laughs> No, because I didn't know who he was. When I yes, saw, I was right. like I didn't know nothing. I just thought it was the makeup to make him look right like that. And then mm-hmm. that's who he is and it mm-hmm. made him look a certain way type of person. Yeah. But I think that's an example of how the parody doesn't work in this case, right? Because none of us know who this is. So it just becomes an odd man living in the head. And then because we can't identify him, we think, oh, okay, this is a makeup and prosthetic well, thing. 
it's kind of a thing, yeah, where it's like, okay, is he meant to look like a mentally handicapped person? Yeah. Or is he meant to be a racial stereo, like a racial caricature of some sort? Yeah, I, I couldn't figure that out. So it was yeah. kind of, that's, I was laughing, when it came out, I was laughing because I was like, oh, that's messed up. But yeah. <laughs> later, you're like, oh, man, I feel bad because I didn't know who he was. Well, at least though it still kind of makes sense because we're doing Hannibal, right? Like, that's, I guess, a horror movie. But then the whole climax is Charlie's Angels. Char- Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I will say that the the, the pee joke with the fountain really, I yes. I do like that, and I love. Do you like the inflatable boobs? The inflatable boobs. I like the inflatable boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Hanson getting very frustrated with how long it takes Cindy to do her like flying kick. Mm-hmm. He's just like, come on, come but- on. But then him hitting her with the bat doesn't, it doesn't land. It's not a good enough joke for me. Well, that first movie ends with kind of a Matrix riff when she's fighting yes. Ghostface, which, okay, so this, they're just doing this again, but also yes. like doubling the length of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when she was trying to find her different karate moves, uh, right. yes. the monkey, <laughs> the I mean, the drunken monkey. The mad cow. I was just like, this is stupid <laughs> and then she ends it with the camel toe the the camel toe just really kind of like wow and you know i think but th- th- that the camel toe was really popular at the time because of that song that song camel toe oh i god. never heard of that song camel toe. <gasps> oh my god oh my god this middle-aged lady i gotta be blunt has been this biker shorts were creeping up the front I have to see like when it came out. Camel Toe song, <laughs> Fanny Pack. Camel, it's 2003. Oh, actually, fuck, yeah. Camel Toe was after this movie, two years later. Shit. I've never heard of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, uh, the female anatomy that most catches my attention because it is so 2001 in this is actually Theo's uh, thong that's exposed when she's trying to seduce Dwight because I'm just like, oh, this is that period of Slay for You and Extina mm. doing um, Dirty, where it was like to show the top of the thong above your pants was the hottest thing. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. Supposedly they tried to get Christina Aguilera and Britney, and Britney Spears for the Natasha Leone role in the beginning of this movie. Um, that is a terrible role for both of them. What did they think? Yeah, they... I don't know. But I, they go from those to Natasha Leone, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense, but okay. Like, it's a better fit if you're thinking about the opening of three, where you've got uh, Jenny McCarthy and... Uh, Pamela Anderson. There we go, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> those boobs are so big, I can't even concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so we're we're basically at the end like they get rid of kane it's a very wah, wah finale but um i do kind of like the the brief moments back on campus with cindy and the parrot and then buddy <laughs> running away as soon as trouble arrives because hansen is just unexpectedly back and then we get yeah uh a redo of that first film where he just gets run over by shorty in a car because he's getting roadhead yeah, which is a well, it's a it's a repeat of two jokes from the first movie actually, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it opens and closes a... with yes, yeah. <laughs> mm. that is scary movie too. 
I, I mean, yeah. I, I'll just say I, I did laugh talking about it, like talking about this joke. So yes. I think that's I'm gonna I'm gonna co- like co-sign with you, Joe. Or as a communal experience, maybe watching this like is more because again, I used to love this movie when I was younger, but it was also because it felt taboo because it was so nasty, it was so R-rated that I was like, oh, I'm getting away with something by watching this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do think you know what? You give me some like some weed, a couple beers, or in my case, wine. And like four people in the room with me, or a crowded theater, this is gonna play like gangbusters. Yeah. Vote Trace, how does it hold up for you? Is it still as funny or different funny? It's not as funny uh, because I get it. it <laughs> right. It's okay if it is. I don't want to like you know, guilt because... you into saying it's not that funny. No, no, no. Because you know when when I first saw this, it was in a the theater. The theater was packed. We were right. ready to go because of the first one, and we laughed and. There was some, you know, we just enjoyed ourselves. And I think, you know, being in that atmosphere made a difference. Now, I just recently watched it by myself again, and I couldn't get through it the first time. Not because (laughs) there was anything (laughs) wrong with it. It was like, I just got really tired and I cut it off. (laughs) (laughs) Right. To watch it again. Because I because I was looking at the movie, you know, anytime I do anything like this, I I look at the movie a little differently and it just there were some funny parts. Um, you know, she's driving the car, um, and you know, we all sing in the car and then (laughs) the radio tells her to shut the hell up. The bird, I I still likes the bird. I just find that just. I, I think the shitting bird is great. <laughs> <laughs> bird, um, the weed plant coming alive. I mean, there's some parts that really worked, yeah. and then there were one, there were other parts that just didn't hit the mark or didn't make mm. any sense for what was going on. And then you know, then you read about how they were forced to rush, and it shows that, and that's really sad because the first one. Like I said, they wrote it so many times and then until it was approved and they had time and years and rewrites. This one, they didn't have that much. And I think that kind of the, the studio pushing to have it done, you know, and they probably was under contract. I mean, there's probably all kind of things that we probably don't know about it because I was thinking, why didn't they say, no, we we're going to do it, at, you know, but they probably was under some kind of contracts. So I think it pushed it. And I think that kind of pushed them out of it altogether. They probably like, oh, <laughs> hell no, we're going to do our own thing. Right. And then they came up with white girls. So, Which I secretly fucking love. Oh, I, I love white. I don't secretly. I actually hadn't seen it until, I, I, I honestly, right before I got married, because my husband made me watch it. And I was like, I'm not going to watch that. That's stupid. And then I watched and I fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> It's also very cringy, but again, it's like, <laughs> it's it's the kind of thing where if you can get on board with the humor, then you will find it funny. If you sit there and want to talk about why it's offensive, then, I mean, it, it you just shouldn't ever go into a, a comedy being like, well, I'm prepared to be outraged by this. Like, you kind of have to make that agreement with, I guess, a horror film and a comedy, but particularly with the Wayans brothers, like they've got a very distinctive brand of like trying to hit your buttons in that regard. My question was going to be actually, uh, have either of y'all seen a haunted house or a haunted house Two? It's not, it's not directed by a Wayans brother, but uh, Marlon co-wrote both of them. No, I have not. They released a haunted house Two a year and three months after a haunted house one. This is 2013 and 2014. Hmm. Nope. I had no interest. 
to yeah. see them. I guess the fear is that you would end up getting something like this, right? Because this is meant to be a Wayans haunted house film. Well, I just think the timing is weird because a haunted house comes out January of 2013 and Scary Movie 5 was a few months later and they both do paranormal activity. But uh, Scary Movie 5 doesn't have the Wayans brother. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah. Interesting. So on that note, I actually have a very quick game for both of you. So thinking about <laughs> how the scary movies obviously lampoon current and historical films, if they ever rebooted this or made another one and say the Waynes had all the time in the world to make it fantastic, which horror movie would you like them to parody? I have to choose The Conjuring. Oh. oh. That's actually not That's bad, though, because you could do the whole Conjuring universe. You get Conjuring, you get Annabelle, you get... What else is there? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a bunch of them. There's like five of those movies. Mm. Yeah, there's The Conjuring, the, the Nun, yeah, all that. I mean, then you have Insidious. Oh, so you're doing like a whole Wan universe. Got it. Okay. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I, I, I could see them do, because there's some really frightening things, but I think if they add, you know, their element from the first one, I think they could really come on top. Because, yeah, because The Conjuring's popular, Annabelle is very popular. Yeah. They could oh, yeah, really the doll do shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, yeah, they, they would kill it with, with stuff like that, the way things are going, and throw host in there. Yeah. Mm. My thought was to do elevated horror movie which is basically just all the a24 films so you do hereditary you do right. it comes at night you do the witch like you do all these slow burn horror films that you know and obviously the, the, the title itself is a joke because elevated horror isn't a thing but i would just love to see a spoof of all those fucking movies <laughs> oh yeah like midsummer yes yeah <laughs> so you would call the movie elevated horror <laughs> elevated horror movie <laughs> <laughs> terrible <laughs> i could see that joe do you have one so my pick was similar to yours trace i was thinking the popularity of hereditary and just how you could turn that into offensive jokes like i'm thinking about how people already make jokes about the decapitation in that film so oh yeah it'd be fun to see well fun in quotation marks to see how the <laughs> wayne brothers put their their spin on that kind of material well, and also, I mean, I guess it'd be more satire at this point if we're going into social structure. But um, like you could have like like the, the like Christian in Midsummer. He's like such a shitty ass boyfriend, right? right? So you have this this terrible person, and the and the the, the Fiona's Pew character is so oblivious, like when he's like you know fucking another girl in front of her or something. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, or just a bunch of characters running around in bear suits getting set on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it comes at night. You think about oh, the it's coming, but obviously there's nothing because that was the big complaint people had about that movie was that there was no it. <laughs> it's just one character sitting in a room waiting for something to happen the whole movie, <laughs> and then at the end of the credits, it's like a door slams. Yeah, there's so many movies now that is so popular that has really good concepts they can use, but I think they probably be out of it. But just I mean, if they ever sat there and like, oh, I really want to do it again for the fans for the love of scary movie, come back for 25th anniversary. 25th anniversary. Yeah, those I would pick the films that really that you could just yeah. have so much, you know, from them. You mm -hmm. know, hereditary that were popular, that people, you know, a lot of people have watched. Choose a movie, you could do a lot of things. Like hereditary, there's so many elements that's fucking crazy. The mom banging her head against the, the ceiling, the headless body floating away up to the top. <laughs> 
the decapitation, <laughs> um, the possession. You see, you, you see, there's so many things. I think if you choose films that doesn't have any iconic moments, then I think yeah. it, it becomes dull because now you have to pull out of it. If you have to pull yeah. something out, it, it, it's doomed to fail. When you have so much to choose from and they're all equally exciting to see, I think that's when your your audience would, would love it. You know, most of your audience would love it because, oh, I know what that is. Oh, I know what that is. I know what that is from that movie. You could pick any part of the movie and we know what it is. Well, that has been Scary Movie 2, everybody. So, Avotris, before we sign off, uh, this is your chance uh, to talk about yourself. Uh, where can people find you on social media? And is there anything happening that you'd like to plug? I do have a YouTube. There will be more content, horror movies and beyond. Um, starting in March and have more stuff on there. Um, my raw reviews, my raw podcast will be back. Uh, cause I nice. just got finished through Shutterary, which took a, the life out of me, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always on Twitter, mostly on Instagram. Um, just posting stuff about horror, horror collection. I collect things and stuff like that. And, um, a lot of things I do promote is just inspiration. Just, you know, be yourself, work, you know, do your best, work hard. Because I always say the journey is always better than the destination. And keep doing what you're doing. Uh, even if you think no one's watching, someone's watching. And mm. you, you just never know who's looking at you. You know, don't worry about how many people you have. You know, that's just someone clicking on something. But it could be 20 people looking at you and want to work with you. So just keep going. <laughs> so that's just me, you know, talk about horror films. And and um, I always look at horror as a, a deeper meaning than blood, guts, and gore, even though that is wonderful to look at and talk about. But every horror story has a story, you know, has a meaning. And that's what I learned doing Shutterary, talking to these people. They always throw themselves in their films. And I always mm -hmm. say, if you can't make anything up, write what you know. Yep. That's nice. I like that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. No, that that was that's actually a wonderful sign off. I don't even want to say anything after that, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Also, find us on Letterbox to see all the films we've covered. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And of course, as always, if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at Patreon.com/slash horror queers uh we're doing march a little differently we're going back to well the early days of the pandemic joe mm -hmm. where we do a new movie and then everything else is kind of a theme so yeah. uh, oh lord help us in the spirit of the new wrong turn that came out last month we're going to be doing kind of a hillbilly horror theme or maybe mutant theme or a little bit yeah <laughs> we'll have episodes on the remakes of the hills have eyes and the texas chainsaw massacre oof uh, Text Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite films of all time. The remake, actually. I'm not even lying. So, <laughs> Yeah, you're excited. Uh, as well as The New Wrong Turn, which I refuse to call a remake. It's just a movie with the name Wrong Turn on it. Um, <laughs> we'll also... We'll also have a mini-sode on the iconic and controversial episode of The X-Files titled Home. Oh, wait, so... wait. Is that the one where the family? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. I would love to come on that one. <laughs> I love... 
Oh my god. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a dead one. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all check out our Patreon for that. But Joe, mm-hmm. um, before we sign off, what are we covering next week? Well, when next week's episode drops, it will be a week with a Friday the 13th in it, Trace. So we are going to tackle the gayest one of all, Friday the 13th, Part 7, a.k.a. Carrie vs. Jason. A.k.a. The New Blood, which is the actual subtitle. But Ugh. yes, it might as well actually be called Carrie vs. Jason. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Uh yeah, so I'm excited for that. I actually um this is one that on a marathon rewatch. I actually liked this one a bit more than I remembered liking it in the past. So oh, I'm excited good. to revisit it. Yeah, mm. I'm excited to break into that Shutter Factory giant box set. So the Shutter Factory, Shutter Factory, Scream Factory, Shuttery yeah. Scream. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever I said. Yeah, that one, that box with a lot of Jasons on it. <laughs> Until next week, we can cross out Scary Movie Two. Yes, and cross out horror queers. You've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.